Heads up, there's cussing in this podcast. Hello and welcome to the Pub Hound Podcast. I'm Drew Whitehead and with me is Richard Porter and we are in the office of Pub Hound Press in Joplin, Missouri the on a Monday evening. Pub Hound office. The new Brand Pub new, Hound we're office. breaking it in. It's an actual office now and not my living room. <laughs> I liked your living room. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. That was good, but this is better. This is better. And cozy. Yeah, it is. It's very, very cozy. We're, we're on one another's laps. It's very no, intimate. Let's not get... Let's not get too intimate on the uh, details, perhaps, with our listeners. But I'm not ashamed of our love, Drew. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. Richard, Mm -hmm. since the last time we did one of these, Mm -hmm. what's, uh, what's been your progress, your work? I've been spinning my wheels a lot lately. I got another commission. And I am having a hard time figuring out what angle from which I would like to attack it. I honestly don't even know how to describe what this person wants, because I don't understand what he wants. At first I thought he was pointing, pointing fun at me. Uh, the woman for whom I wrote the last, last commission got in contact with me and said she had a friend who wanted me to write a poem. And I said, yeah, sure, give him my typical, you know, uh, you should make business cards. I, I should. I mean, you know, I'm not making money off of this. It's just uh, when I say a commission, I mean people offer to pick up my tab, which, I mean, I guess I could use that to make, you know, to to ju- gauge by how much people should pay me because my tabs are quite large. <laughs> um, so I could I could make a killing off of this, but I'm fine with with just getting an evening of drinking, as those who know me would expect. But. Uh, I said, sure, what does he want? Is there any specific topic? And she said, he wants a poem about what it's like to be the sort of person who has the identity that they commission poems. So I thought he was just poking fun at her for having commissioned a poem and poking fun at me and what I love to do. So I, uh, I just blew it off for a couple of weeks and she got in contact with me asking me how it was going. I said, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to write anything for this asshole. Um, and, she's, and then she, she reassured me he's serious. That's I guess he, he wants to commission a poem. He wants somebody to write a poem for him. But he doesn't know what to ask for because he doesn't feel like he's suffered, like he's led a charmed life. And, he, and, and you know, that's not what poetry is necessarily about. Um, you know, you can write poems for all sorts of things. I've... Hmm. I mean, he's already married. Otherwise, I guess I could write him. In, I could I could write him a belated epithalamian. <laughs> um, but by the way, we promise whomever has commissioned this poem that we're not going to uh, uh, reveal your identity. <laughs> no, only your um, life story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but I, I don't know. I'm uh, I'm having a hard time figuring out how to uh, how to give a poem, how to write a poem for somebody who doesn't know what they want. Or feel like they, they deserve one. I thought, like, on one hand, I thought, you know, I could give him something like uh, Richard Corey, um, the Edward Arlington <laughs> Robinson. Yes, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> or I could give him something along the lines of uh, Seamus Haney's Postscript, or somewhere in between. But I also, I don't think I could write a better poem than either of those are, and they already exist. It almost sounds like a... Uh a, a literature class assignment to me. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's an interesting concept, but 
<laughs> You're certainly not one to shy away from a challenge. No, no, and I, I have some things that have that I've gotten written down. I'm just not sure. I mean, I've I've made a little bit of headway. Um, pretty pretty sure I know. I mean, I've got the rhyme scheme down. I've I've got the line, the meter down for what I'm working on. Um, if I stick with what I'm doing, but I'm. Excuse me, I'm already belching. Um, uh, yeah, we're yeah. just getting started. Yeah, folks. we're just getting started, and I'm already three sheets to whatever. Um, but I don't, I'm not necessarily sure what I'm working on is what he's going to want. Because I don't know him that well. I've met him a few times. He's a very, very pleasant gentleman. He's a really nice guy, but I don't know much about his life. So I'm just sort of pulling things out of the air and doing things the way that I often do them, but I don't know if that's what he's going to enjoy. So, just well, sort of spinning my wheels as I work on it. I'll be interested to see where that goes. Um, it's a right into a ditch, but yeah, it'll get done. <laughs> I'm I'm not one to uh, to write what other people want. I tend to write just what I want. Well, so. that, that's that's kind of fun though, too. Um, you know, taking something that what somebody else wants and finding a way to give them what they want while also giving them what you want that sounds really devious but that's that's part of it too it's it's also sort of the the same thing that draws me to working uh in meter and rhyme as well you know you have these these restrictions that are already there and you find a way to say what you want to say while working within them and so it's sort of you know giving you it's sort of like weightlifting you have something to push against and that's where the exercise comes in so <clears throat> well, I was thinking. So I enjoy doing those <clears throat> sorts of things, but sometimes I was thinking of it more like sometimes it's too heavy. The way that you, if someone asks you what do you want for your last meal, it's almost like staggeringly difficult to choose. But if someone gives you a menu, I don't know, then I, you choose from the menu. Steak, medium rare. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> I guess you're easy. Scotch. But, well, yeah, I am easy. <laughs> Everybody already knows this. <laughs> okay. Let's, what are you uh, working on? Anything? Well, uh, actually, yes. Um, I had I had an idea in my head going back several months ago, and just sort of rolled it around for a while, and um, it's begun to take shape. It's my idea is to basically write about the things that the things that make up me, really. <laughs> like, and essentially, it's not, it's not really. They're not pieces of me, but it's like the things that I don't leave home without. Yeah. And how they sort of become personified in their own way as a piece of my identity. Um, so I started out with the idea of I'm going to write about each thing that I'm currently carrying in my pocket. But it's sort of changed over time. And I think, uh, I think it's going to be a cool series. It's going to be a series. Excellent. started... I've written two of the poems, basically, and um, they need some editing, and there will be a few more. I'm not sure how many. It'll be five or six, probably. Having fun with it. Yeah, I'm. I look forward to hopefully seeing it. Uh, you will once you're ready. You will ready to show it. You will. Uh, <clears throat> you you probably won't see it until all of the poems are at least written in a draft form, but uh, you'll see it eventually. Okay, so. Anyway, today on our show, coming up next, we have our guest for the week, Dr. Brad Aaron Modlin, author of two recently released books. Both of which are prize winners, let's not forget that. Both of which are prize winners, very exciting. 
Uh, welcome to the podcast, Brad. Hi, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, and we also have today our guest bartender, let me not forget, Zach with Sun City Solar, energy at the speed of light. You can get a hold of Zach at suncityenergy.com. Okay, we're going to take our first break. See you in a minute. Welcome back to the Pub Hound Podcast, and welcome Dr. Brad Aaron Maudlin. Hey. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your books. Everyone at this party has two names, and Surviving in Drought. Yeah, uh, let's start with Everybody at this Party Has Two Names. Uh, it is the winner of the Cowles Poetry Prize from Southeast Missouri State University Press. Uh, you can buy that book, by the way, uh, <laughs> via the press, or you can find it on Amazon as well. You that sure can. Me. That reminds me, we did not say yet poundpress.com. <laughs> That's true. We also own a publishing company. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're not big enough for the likes of Brad. Yeah, it's true. We're not. But <laughs> you're bigger than us, Brad. Yeah, you're bigger than us. But he very kindly is gracing us with his presence. Uh, but if you would very like happily. to give, thank you. Thank you. Uh, if you would like to give us your money as well. And God knows we can use it. You can visit us at pubhoundpress.com, order our books. We have Maya and Drew's chapbook, Muddled. We also have Cody White's book, full length, uh, You True Maybe Baby. And it is excellent. You should definitely pick that up. You can also get those via Amazon or, again, via us and give us the money directly. Well done, Richard. <laughs> I'm learning to market. <laughs> anyway, we're not necessary. We're not really here to talk about ourselves. We're here to talk about Brad and his excellent work. Again, everyone at this party has two names. Uh, would you like to read a poem, Brad, sure. from the book? Let's go ahead and start there. Um, if you wouldn't mind, I would like to hear um, Apology to the Twitchy Woman. And I'll let you go ahead and read read the full, full title because people are tired of my voice at this point. <laughs> well, it is a long title. Uh, the title is Apology to the Twitchy Woman Who Yells to Herself at the Bakery and Chants to Her Croissants and Coffee, I'm Gonna Eat Ya, Eat Ya, Dunk Ya, Dunk Ya All. <laughs> the day I began to hate my second grade gym teacher, he said, let's play a game, and tossed us red blindfolds. Still new to knots and just learning embarrassment, we fumbled tied them behind our heads, and I tried to cover the sudden four-inch bald patch above my ear the doctor couldn't explain. I'll tell you all which barnyard animal you are, and easy as a paper airplane, he glided around the circle. Donkey, he husked into my ear. Now, kids, crawl on the floor and make your animals noise until you find the others like you. He blew the plastic whistle that meant he knew best, and we all quacked and neighed, and I onky-awed and onky-awed around the sticky wood floor. Maybe I was making the wrong sound. Donkey! I yelled. Donkey! But I heard only my echo in the bleachers. I fell against a padded wall, covered the bit of exposed bald patch until the teacher blew the whistle and we untied our eyes to see his witty, unspoken joke. I was the only jackass. When I saw you by the window table this morning, when you shouted, dunk ya all, about the croissant in your hand, when I laughed at you above my coffee cup, I didn't think you'd turn around and make me face what I was doing. 
For a minute, I'd forgotten that the donkey's bray is a swinging, loud and soft metallic sound, like my deaf nephew crying in my driveway after two neighbor boys throw rocks at his back and his parents aren't there and I can't sign a single word. Excellent. Uh, Part of the reason I asked for you to read this one is I feel like it's a pretty good, not necessarily key to the rest of the book, but it touches on um, some pretty prominent themes, Mm -hmm. uh, specifically identity, um, which, you know, with a... With the title, you know, the eponymous poem, everyone at this party has two names. I kind of, mm-hmm. obviously, identity is going to be a big theme throughout this book. But specifically, um, identity in terms of uh, how it can be a, sort of a, a force of that drives one towards isolation. Hmm. Or also, or, or along those lines, it's uh, it can create isolation and it's sort of an exclusionary force, too. Um, for instance, in this, you know, certainly we, with our identities, long to find others with whom we can identify. Using that word way too much. Fitting <laughs> um, <laughs> word, yeah. Yeah, but it's, but in in doing that, you often, when you do find others who are similar, for those who aren't similar, those who have, you know, possibly more of an identity and being different, mm. you know, it's, you, you tend to exclude those, mm, exclude mm-hmm. those people too, which we uh, definitely see in this poem with, you know, the way the gym teacher lets everybody except for the speaker and on the joke. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately later, um, the little, the laughter uh, that's devoted towards a woman with whom the speaker should identify. Mm. And instead he finds himself identifying more with, with the coach, so, yeah. you know, still a jackass, mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately, mm-hmm. but a little bit in, in different terms. Um, I guess what I'm saying, Brad, is do you need a hug? <laughs> we all need hugs. We all need, we all need hugs. hugs. <laughs> Eight a day, I hear. Yeah, before carbohydrates and <laughs> Maslow's hierarchy. There was a yeah. question. Yeah. There was a question somewhere. <laughs> I'm good at pointing things out. Possibly not good at formulating <laughs> questions. Um, so, do you often find yourself uh, dealing with? Is that something that's just often on your mind? Is is those terms of identity and sort mm-hmm. of social is- isolation, mm-hmm. or is it something that you know was just sort of coming up while you were working specifically on this book, and it sort of snowballed as it was mm-hmm. you were working mm-hmm. on poems that worked along with one another mm-hmm. well you know as i was working on this book um i i, I started to see a lot of poems were talking about self-consciousness right mm-hmm. and then as i realized that then i that sort of became something to you know more intentionally pursue both in this as well as in other pieces uh, in surviving a drought we've got a lot of characters who don't really belong where they are as well um Part of how this came about was I was um, I was really interested in a, a craft element that I had read about, which was um, referred to as the interruption. So uh, specifically in, in the article I was reading, it was talking about a poem that had a lyric interruption. So it was a narrative poem that had this interjection that was a, a moment you might normally see in a lyric poem. Mm-hmm. And I just became really fascinated with this craft concept and kept finding it, you know, looking for it, stumbling upon it in other books of poetry, and then, you know, pursuing it myself, seeing how other people were having these these interruptions that really 
change the poem, add to texture, but sometimes it was sort of the heart of the whole thing was this, this moment, as if the rest of the poem was supporting this one interruptive line. Uh, and so I started to sort of pursue that craft element. And as I was doing that, the content was matching the craft, where I had, you know, maybe there's the line or the stanza that seems a little bit out of place in the rest of the poem, and so too were, were characters or content matter that were sort of at, at points didn't seem to belong. Um, and so part of that is where the parties came from. That, um, yeah, you generally see uh, in every single party, well, again, every party has a theme, and in, and in each case, uh, the speaker is, again, somewhere they shouldn't be. They are are the interruption. Um, in the case of everybody at this party is a pugilist, quite violent interruption. <laughs> 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 For those who have not read the poem, uh, shame on you. Unless you never <laughs> haven't, you just haven't gotten to it yet. Still shame on you. You should be up. There's a lot face. of there's a lot of poems out there. We can't shame them too much. <laughs> <laughs> there's only so many hours in the day for reading poetry. Uh, but uh, in the poem, everybody at this party is a pugilist. The speaker becomes quite irate at all of these people who feel quite confident in their own skin. And in spite of the fact he knows he's going to get laid out, begins uppercutting every single one of them, yeah. <laughs> uh, running around the room, assaulting them. There was a there was a line in that one that I really I really enjoyed the uh, mm. about the primates that yeah. <laughs> what, what's that line, Brad? Um, well, it's it's the first it's a prose poem, so it's the first sentence in the poem. Um, their torsos look borrowed from magazines, and they bear them in this living room as if they've somehow forgotten that insecurity is what separates humans from the other primates. Yeah, that's that's excellent. Wow. So you um, <clears throat> you talked you you talked about the craft you know, mm -hmm. w when you were writing in this, being in the midst of a, experimenting with craft. Yeah. Basically. Um, so I I wanted to ask about your poem Unicursal. Oh, okay. In the, or, or not, or not poem. Or or short story. Yeah, but, but, well, there, well, there's another, there's another question in that, though, which the, your book of poems has a lot of narrative stuff. Right, in, yeah. And your, your, your book of prose has a lot of kind of poetic stuff. Uh -huh. So what's, what, what's the distinction for you? Like, how do you, is it, is it more about the story, like, mm -hmm. falling in line with the, the theme, or explain? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I love to write poetry fiction and nonfiction, and I'm really interested in just spilling over the the border walls between those you know um just uh having something sometimes when I'm writing nonfiction I'm like okay I think I'm gonna have like a paragraph here that's pretty much a prose poem you know right in the middle of the essay um because that's just what it needs you know I just decide or um there's some there's some pieces in here for, uh, in the in the book of in the book of poems there's a piece in in it that um was originally published as an essay at one part at one point was part of a fiction manuscript and is now part of of the of the, the book of poems because you it's in two parts one part is clearly fiction one part is clearly nonfiction. Um, so I was interested in the inner interaction between them so how do I how do I distinguish the two I don't know if I do so much I mean the the uh, surviving and drought is clearly more narrative driven we've got um, characters who we see even if it's episodic we see them uh, you know, progressing uh, with a beginning, middle, and ending. We've got uh, plot lines that maybe we don't have as much within the poem. You know, some say that the difference between narrative and lyric is narrative continues in time and lyric freezes time. Um, that being said, I think there's there's quite a few 
great short stories out there that are sort of series of frozen moments that mm-hmm. kind of happen. Well, I think you could definitely do that easier with a short story. Mm. I, I feel like short stories and poems are much more kindred spirits than poems and novels or hmm. novels and biographies. Or hmm. I don't know. I mean, we don't necessarily see as much of it now. It used to be, I mean, the real poetry wasn't lyric poetry. It was often looked down right. upon. It was long yeah. narrative verse. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean... And at one point, that's 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 what we had was a, a narrative poem before we had you know prose novels and that type yeah, of thing. So, yeah. um, in fact, I mean, at that point, prose was often looked looked down upon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and some of our earliest, even well, okay, I was going to say longer prose um, is still tended to be quite episodic. You know, the picaresque novels mm-hmm. or um, or. Uh, Rabelais, uh, the Chronicles of Gargantua and Pantagruel. Did I flip those? I can't recall. Um, It's been a while. But well, it's another picaresque novel where it's you have the same characters, but it's mostly you know just a bunch of isolated events, Mm. and there's not necessarily an overarching narrative as we see now. Overarching narratives were generally still at that time. sort of around you know, medieval era, uh, well, late medieval, early early renaissance, uh, it was still the main narrative narrative drive was the long narrative poem, you mm-hmm. know, epic poems and the like, so, or mock epics. So, so let's just jumble it all up. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is fun. <laughs> but going um, back to my original question, uh-huh. Unicursal, uh-huh. I'm, the composition of it, I'm guessing that you didn't write it the way that it, comes out on the page okay right like because could you be more specific well it's like you have these is it eight Mm -hmm. eight characters and like each one there's an episode for each and then Mm -hmm. there's another episode for Mm -hmm. each I'm assuming that you had to write them all in a row you didn't you didn't go back and and touch each one eight different times and you know or like tell me tell me about your process for that uh yeah so that process was um a really fun one for me. Um, how did it start? So I, at one point, I, I was just found myself um, surrounded by circles. <laughs> um, everywhere I turned, everywhere I turned, <laughs> there was a circle. Um, but I, I would, I would go into um, the diner to, you know, to write. And then when I walked in, the song that was playing overhead twice was "To Everything Turn Turn Turn." Or uh, I'm at the bookstore, just kind of looking around, and I see um, something about circular mandalas. Or um, I would just find myself walking in circles, sort of on accident, and making circular, like making a circle in the air with my fingers while I was thinking. I was like, "What? The, what is going on here?" And I, um, I, I think if something, whatever's on your head should be what's on your page. Is kind of what I think. And so, and um, something I always tell my students, um, whatever, whatever your obsession is, if it's a bigger obsession or a small one you've got a lot of energy there and there's something that you should pursue, you know, and figure out. Um, And so I was really interested in circles. And then uh, in a couple months, I was going to be going to France um, to learn, to learn some French. And uh, I, the immersion school I was attending was near Chartres where there's a a labyrinth on the floor. And so I thought, huh, in this circular, yes, yes. And so the circular, um, maze, uh, another circle. I thought, okay, now now the obsession is morphing into an obsession with labyrinths. And so I was really studying it a lot. And uh, 
as I looked at this, the structure of the labyrinth, it's sort of, um, it's in four quadrants. One walks into the quadrants, um, has sort of a, a moment in the center. As they're walking in there, they're sort of letting things go. Then they have the moment in the center, the pregnant center, we could say. And then they walk out of the labyrinth back through those same four quadrants to kind of um, receive. Um, so I had, I had these characters that I'd been working with uh, who I, I didn't know exactly what was going on with them. I was just sort of describing these characters in a list form. And then I, I realized that maybe they needed to be poured into the labyrinth shape. And so um, there's four quadrants. We go through them twice. That's how we got the eight characters. Um, the, the progression, the arc, sort of story arc of the labyrinth is that you let things go. In the middle, you have a, a pregnancy. A pregnancy. Yeah. And in this case, we have a parentage, a parenthood. Um, and then we, uh, and then you receive things. And I actually sort of reverse that order, but the characters are sort of acquiring in the first two um, parts of their lives. They're, um, they're single, and then they're married, and then they're parents. And then they start to realize that the marriage is in trouble, and then their divorce is at the end. And so they acquire the pregnant center, and then they they lose, um, sort of following the labyrinth there. Um, and so as I was creating it, then I had this chart, this big chart of, okay, you know, character number three has had their pregnant moment. Have they had their, what's divorce like for them? And each of them has sort of um, characteristic traits that are very, I don't know, um, the color saturation is really high on them, I guess. They're sort mm -hmm. of quirky. Um, but so what what does it mean for the person who um, has vision problems but refuses to go to the eye doctor? What does divorce look like for them? What does, um, and so, you know, creating this chart and then thinking how does each thing horizontally, how do the, the person's progression for their own storyline, how, do, how does that make sense? How does it unfold as well as, because we go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, how do they play against each other? Um, so, it, and for some of those sections, they're quite narrative with time progressing, and some of them it is, it is that lyric moment in time. Yeah. So you can see yeah. why you'd say there's like that poetic feel to some of right. them. Yeah. Right. It, it all your the the world that your characters inhabit, particularly in the surviving drought, feels very magical. Hmm. Like, not very magical, but more magical mm -hmm. than than our world. Sure. Is that on some of that perhaps epiphany driven too? Um, for example, we have uh, the gentleman who sells water mm -hmm. for a living during the drought, and then he has this moment where Speaking he's like, "Damn it, I'm going to be a human being, and I'm yeah. going to share this with people." Mm -hmm. And for this small moment, we are going to be happy in the well, same way. Like mm. Such a beautiful line, by the way. Um, and I mean that is something that's definitely epiphany driven. I think in uh, Universal you see these various small epiphanies in each of those sections hmm. with the women. So I forgot what Drew's point was. Uh, I'm, so I've lost my own thread. I was just thinking <laughs> of, about the, about the magical element. If like if there's if that's intentional ah, right. towards okay. some goal, or if it just kind of happens for you, or 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 what that. Well, sometimes I think it starts with the magical element. Um, like, the the final story in, in Surviving in Drought, the world floods, right? And so it's a husband and wife on a rowboat. And the thing that started that was, was actually the first the first sentence of the story was what created the story. Um, I for, was on, for the whole book? Or for the, for that whole story. For that story, okay. Um, I was on a, a port swing, which is, I guess, sort of like a, a rowboat in water. And, um, <laughs> and it's very small. And just... I was thinking about um, 
I was thinking about love and marriage in the ways that um, external, you know, factors play into it, of course. And so uh, that so the you take the Hitchcock, sort of isolate them in one one sort of scene. Sure. Yeah, and that and that that magical aspect, or hopefully it's magical. <laughs> hopefully it's not not a prediction of our future, but um, but oh. the idea that if if the world does flood, uh, the, you know, the, I'll just since I'm talking about. Um, Grab it here real quick. Yeah, yeah totally. Read, yeah, read, uh, read the section. The, the first sentence is, a month after the last glacier melts and our lives have been wrapped in a wooden rowboat, my wife starts talking about having children. And that that sort of um, question of the future that might be, you know, common to, to a, a married couple, um, but asking what is it like in, in that context, that's such an absurd context, such a, um, both a, I think a really serious important question to be asking at maybe the end of the world and also just kind of absurd that you would think about that at the end of the world um but i was really interested in how how those things play out to me that that story is is really more about the marriage than it is about the flooded world but the flooded world is is taking its toll and affecting the marriage and, and you know forcing well in which case you know maybe that thought you know from a mask well i don't know from any perspective maybe it's not so it is perhaps selfish, but maybe not so absurd because it's pretty natural for people, you know, in trying to continue a relationship. Hmm. Maybe not always for the best, but often let's create together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're under, so maybe under strain. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's not so. Well, I mean, it is definitely absurd in terms of it's, you know, we're going to bring life into this world that is ending. How are we going to care for this, this child? And it's definitely selfish. But it's also perhaps from, you know, more of a last straw hmm. how are we going to go about things also in terms of you know when the world's ending it's quite natural for most people to say i'm going to continue on with my life until it's over which is mm. sort yeah, of not change it it's sort mm. of the thing that i thought about when i read that was was basically like well when you have no choice but mm. to continue living you're going to continue living. living your life the way that you would mm -hmm. live your life mm -hmm. so so yeah, it was. It was so we are arguing with the person who wrote it. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> I agree. With, I agree with everything you said. I, mean, I think it's it's all those things. We've interpreted it correctly. I mean, I, I think um, I think the the absurdity of the idea that the world is flooding and that your life is wrapped in a robo, which mm -hmm. is which is also a pretty cool turn of phrase, oh. <laughs> by the way. But um, like that, just sort of has has a has a ring to any kind of absurdity that that might exist in any other life you know mm -hmm. like it's never a good time right yeah yeah, yeah exactly exactly mm -hmm. that, that it, it could be that oh our, our life is now wrapped in your new job that we're mm -hmm. moving halfway mm -hmm. across the country for mm -hmm. that, i mean that's the same it's what's the difference really mm -hmm. you know you're mm -hmm. it's never a good time and yeah, mm -hmm. that's the right way to say it so that was good <coughs> never a good time <laughs> summarize that. While we were talking about uh, the pros, I, it kind of surprised it didn't dawn on me before. It kind of dawned on me like quite this large difference, and it may just be you know a difference between how we normally handle lyric and how we handle prose. Uh, but in your poetry, there is definitely a speaker mm -hmm. constantly. You know this one sort of central point of view throughout the poems, you feel like it's always the same hmm. speaker. Hmm. Um, whereas in your prose, you do a little bit more of diving into different characters' minds. Hmm. I was wondering, is that something that you 
that often happens with you in your poetry and mm -hmm. like a difference between how you write your poetry and how you write your prose or is it just maybe something that's specific to this one book where it was perhaps because you were thinking in terms of an interruption you had this one one constant interruption hmm. maybe hmm. huh oh that's a really good question um <laughs> I, <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> I fucked up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I told myself I wasn't going to curse as much, but I can't help it. I think it's good for ratings. <laughs> I would imagine. Um, I yeah, I, I like to play with different speakers and different um, and different characters. Oh, oh, I mean you. Thank you. It is um, well. I love I love both of the books. One of the things I love so much about the covered is you know this wide range of, of characters that hmm. you hmm. become a part of. Mm -hmm. um, Surviving in drought. The covered is the is the press. Publishing. Oh yeah, the covered yeah. is the press. Sorry again. Shout out. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> um, um, well, you know, I I I would tell you um, that the the couple who who is in in the flood, um, at different points, I've I've thought of them as um, some of the same some of the characters okay. in the in the yeah, book of poems. Towards the end of yeah, of there's this, there's we have a, a yeah. marriage that's sort of falling apart. Yeah, and I I, I um, have have sometimes thought of them as the same people, even mm -hmm. um, even though the world's not flooding for them. Uh, in 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 the book of poems, there are some um, that couple sometimes faces some natural or unnatural disasters as well. Mm -hmm. Like we talk about. Um, what if there's a tornado? Will we survive? Yeah. Um, and I, the, I, th I, I have sometimes felt like it is it is the same people asking um, some of the same questions, perhaps at a different point in their in their relationship or in their marriage. Um, some of the poems I think are a little bit earlier on in their relationship, you know, before what what might end up being the flood. Um, and that being said, with time, you know, you know, many poems take a long time to incubate or to write and revise, and so yeah. with time they've kind of have kind of come into some of their own a little bit where they kind of separate. Um, I would say that happens with first person speakers of poems as well. Sometimes um, I've got like a really sarcastic speaker or something like that. And then like a really quiet, sincere speaker. And then uh, I kind of, maybe they kind of morph into the same person. And then mm -hmm. am I, is that me? Am I, am I sarcastic <laughs> and sincere? Well, I guess I probably am. So maybe they're extensions of me. Um, you know, I like to joke that uh, the speaker in this in this book of poems, you know, really makes a fool of himself a lot of times. He goes to these parties where he's fighting pugilists and all these things. And I want people to know that is not me. Those poems are not autobiographical. The ones where he it seems is, very charming, those are all. It is know, those okay <laughs> to invite Brad to your parties. <laughs> I promise not to attack people. He will not assault anybody. <laughs> well, make sure that you don't invite a party full of, of boxers or priests or yeah. amateur children's book authors yeah you know? well then <laughs> almost kind of take your identity away from you and right. give you a whole new one yeah that sounds like um, an interesting party yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well if you're the bartender at it maybe you enjoy it. yeah <laughs> so what kind of party is this <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to go everybody as a party's a pub hound oh yeah <laughs> uh, well speaking of parties we we do have with us today zach from Sun City Solar, gotta gotta plug you again, sir. Yes, sir. SunCityEnergy.com, energy at the speed of light. Yes, sir. Um, we're 
probably getting close to um, where we need to take a pause for a break. Um, so, do we want to do we want to let Brad read one more before we take a yeah. pause? Did you and have another one in mind? You know what? Let's give this one to Brad. Let's let oh. him choose one that he would love to read and give to the world. I think oh my. I like that idea. <laughs> in my world, I mean. There's 17 people that listen to us. <laughs> Should I, a poem or a... Whatever you like. It is your choice, my friend. Um, well, I'll, how about I read... Uh, the first story in Surviving a Drought is pretty short. Yeah. So how about I read that? Um, it's in two parts. It's called Easier in the Picture. One. The twelve housewives in these twelve submarines each want sweeter baking chocolate. Their wholesomely handsome but domestically inept husbands always bring the wrong kind home. Neither the cakes nor the cramped kitchenettes look like those displayed in the submarine brochures, and for this the wives struggle to respect these men who promise them happiness here. The wives are always baking wedding cakes and kids' birthday cakes, but their husbands don't seem to notice the romance in the gesture. Tonight, they especially don't seem to notice. The twelve husbands, secretly ashamed in several ways, polish the periscopes and brag, Look at that terrific view of the land, honey. The wives yell, They have good reason, dang it. And the husbands snark back, I didn't spend my whole day slaving in my traditional role as breadwinner to swim home and fight about vanilla beans. Not vanilla, the wives, swam their, uh, the wives slam their spoons against the metal doors. The recipe book calls for chocolate. For hours, they argue like piranhas as, in the corners, twelve children play cat's cradle alone. The parents yell burst yell, and the submarine's circular window crack, windows crack under the volume and cabin pressure. The ocean pours itself into their homes, flooding the air out, but the parents can't stop. The children decide right now. They swim for it. On their way out, they grab the recipe books. But the ink has already smeared anyway. Two. Our neighbors intend to vote about wedding cakes and who deserves them. They shove a sign into their front yard to prove it. In our big kitchen with big mixing bowls, my fiancé and I have other concerns. I forgot to buy the baking powder. Such a ridiculously, ridiculously small thing, but it's one more apology among too many these past six months. How do two people know how hard they should keep trying? What's normal and fair? We look at each other's worn-out foreheads, lines growing across them each day, and maybe neither of us inherited the know-how for cooking from scratch or the patience for what you can't just microwave and be done with. I almost want to clap right now, but I know that would be inappropriate. Thank you. Thank you very thank you. much. It's been a great you. pleasure. Okay, we're going to take a break, and Zach is going to pour us another drink, and we're all going to go empty our bladders. So come oh, back poor and join us. I thought it was poor. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Pup Hound Podcast. We have our final segment, which we... Uh, have. We've done exactly one time, and we're already going to change the name. We're going to change the name to Last Call because it makes more sense, really, than uh, earworms. I still like earworms, but um, on that note, anybody anyway, need, need to drink? Yes, exactly. I always need. A I drink. would love another uncanny. Thank you very much, um, yes, sir. Before we before we go I to that, it. portion. I got mine. 
though. Um, Brad, I got a couple questions for you. Oh, okay. Uh, Hogwarts or Narnia? Narnia. <laughs> Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. I've never seen Star Trek. Oh. <laughs> so it's not an important opinion. Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings? Uh, Lord of the Rings, because I've never seen Game of Thrones. Oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm so uncultured. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite uh, flavor of Starburst? The yellow one, lemon. You know, you know, I had a, th I had a thought. You did. I had a thought. Yes. Well, you're the person who disrupts the party. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I thought lemon. Then I thought, no, nah, he's probably a strawberry guy. Uh uh. But he's a lemon. Strawberry is the least good. The red. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Definitely. Well, the yellow. red is cherry. The pink. Oh okay 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 yeah yeah. Cherry's the worst. Lemon's the best. Like I like to, I like to take the the the, the cherry and the lemon and make a fruit squish punch them together. Yeah. It's like a strawberry lemonade. <laughs> cherry, cherry lemonade. Cherry lemonade. Okay, anyway, anyway, last call. We're on to our last call, and we're going to uh, talk about something that uh, we can't quit thinking about. And Richard, you're going to go first. All right. Uh, I guess something that's been on my mind a lot lately. I recently, recently, like in the past couple of months, uh, started working in the local history and genealogy room at the library. And a uh, patron mentioned there used to be an African-American nightclub here in Joplin around the 50s and 60s called the Ebony Club. Mm. And it piqued my curiosity, so I started looking into that. Also found that there was at one point a basketball team, not a lot on it, also known as the Ebony Club or the Ebony Athletic Club. And all I can find on them are various typical post-game wrap-ups. So in searching for both of these topics, mostly I'm concentrating on the nightclub at this moment, it's just incredibly depressing on how hard it is to find any information on that. Um, unfortunately, our African-American community, which has been with us since the founding of Joplin, uh, since before the founding of Joplin, has generally been erased from the history books. And I know, or I assume, I'm speaking to the choir, I'm assuming if you read poetry, you're probably going to agree with me, but this is exactly why we need Black History Month. This is exactly why we have yeah. a like specific holiday to celebrate Martin Luther King. Amen. We are erasing not only these people, we're, we are erasing this entire people's history. And it's something that's local. Well, we've erased it already. Yeah, we've no, erased it already by not yeah. acknowledging it. And that's why it is so important for us to make this space and single it out. And we should be doing that more than one day and one month a year. So that's mostly what's been on my mind. Is I don't necessarily have a lot to say about it other than just how frustrating it is and trying to find find information on these people. All I can generally find is police reports. Yeah. And that's yeah. not because of them. That's because that's the only time we would speak of them. And it's a, as an interesting aside, we're actually in the East Town, John. Yeah, we are in East Town, which is the, which is the historically black district, and uh, it likes to use blue plenty yeah. plenty attempts were made to uh, to isolate the East Town community from the rest of the city, yeah. and that's partly why it's so economically depressed at this point in its life cycle. I guess I I do have one more note. Um, if you're listening to this and you do have any information on the Ebony Club. Uh, which was on North St. Louis, or the Ebony Athletic Club. You know, any information on them that is not just your typical post-game wrap-up. 
uh, please contact me. I you can pubhoundpress.com. Yeah, you can send yeah, send it to my Pubhound account. Uh, rich at pubhoundpress.com. <laughs> please, if you have any information, get in contact with me because I want to know more and I will add it to our files in the local history department and then other people can know more. Thank you. Oh, uh, what's on your mind, Zach? It's your last call. Well, as a bartender, I feel like it's my responsibility to figure out what's on everybody else's mind. But if you're going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> what's on my mind? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Your tab. Drink everybody. beer and talk about myself. <laughs> you know, first of all, you know, I should give a shout out to Uber since we've recently uh, acquired Uber in Joplin. Yeah, and sure. uh, AAA Woo! Taxi. So if anybody here this evening needs Uber <laughs> or AAA Taxi, then um, not AAA Insurance. I've made that mistake before. <laughs> Why do I keep getting the message machine? <laughs> but, um, I need a ride. Yeah, exactly. Not but, a um, no, this is this has been a great time, and uh, I'd like to thank you guys for the opportunity to be here. And um, but as far as what's been on my mind lately, um, this is our busiest time of year uh, as a company, and um, I've worked every day for over a month now, seven days a week. So. Um, this is probably the longest break I've taken uh, in the last 35 days, you know, the last couple hours. So mm. priorities have been on my mind. And, um, you know, like the work that I do is something that I'm absolutely passionate about from the very fiber of my being. And, um, you know, so I, I think about that, you know, as I'm working every day, it's something that I love and enjoy, you know, but there's obviously other areas of your life that you have to consider, you know. so. Um, I, I think about those types of things and then to hear you Richard talk about you know things that I you know fundamentally consider should be priorities in my life like uh, other people <laughs> you know like you know empathy and compassion are two things that you know two values that I consider you know very important in my life and to hear you talking about you know a community that I consider to be a very important part of Joplin a very important part of Joplin's history um, you know, to hear that you're trying to do research on it, you know, and you being somebody that, you know, works at our local library and having difficulty, you know, finding information about this community, that's interesting. It's kind of disturbing to me, to be honest. So, so now that's on my mind, you know, like prioritization, but, you know, what becomes a priority to me is that everybody that's here is a priority and, you know, um, everybody that's part of this community is a priority and should be so um yeah those, those are the things that i'm thinking about right now so uh prioritization in terms of your work mm -hmm. becomes not just make the sale but make sure that it works yeah so um yeah i i do everything from make the sale to uh, assist in the process of installing the solar panels to follow up with the customer and make sure that they're satisfied you know with the with the whole process so I wonder yeah, why it's this, an ongoing process is it just because people think about the Sun more in the summer that this is the busy time of year <laughs> yeah you know partly it's uh, you know people see a rate increase you know around July and August yeah, you know bills go so up so yeah you know like so cool yeah absolutely you know so bills increase dramatically and then also um, you know, there's a federal tax credit of 30%. Yeah. So um, people start calling because they want to get on the schedule before the end of the year. So, you know, we're already booked up several weeks in advance right now. And, um, 
you know, we'll be that way through January because some of the overflow from December, people trying to get everything installed before the end of the year will go through January, and then February will be, be pretty quiet. You know, I plan on taking February yeah. off, but I'll probably work every day until then. So. so if you want to get on the schedule for March. Yeah, absolutely. Call yeah, call yeah, call today now. would be, yeah. Call yeah, yesterday. Absolutely. Look up yeah. Zach at suncityenergy.com. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a great idea. And speaking of the sun, uh, my last call uh, for today. Actually, before I do that, I want to mention, um, I, I intended to talk about this earlier, but uh, I didn't look at my notes quickly enough. Um, but I, I recently finished reading uh, Jeff Holt's excellent collection of poetry, The Harvest. And uh, Jeff, if you happen to listen to this, please come be our guest sometime. Please, and Jeff. Everyone else that's listening to this, go out and look up Jeff Holt. Um, it's good work. Very good work. Uh, so anyway, my uh, speaking of the sun, my last call is... Uh, I wanted to talk for a minute about the total solar eclipse that happened a few weeks ago. Speaking of solar. Because, uh, <laughs> exactly. Because I was on a roof when that happened, actually. So. Well, that's a, that's a good place to be. Mm -hmm. I, I was in, um, in, uh, in a field, kind of, in a nature, a natural reserve area. He's lying, folks. Drew routinely wakes up in fields. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's no, why I plugged not, Uber. Sorry, not for a while. <laughs> That's why I plugged Uber. My girlfriend and I went to Blue Springs, and we found, we found this nature reserve area. And um, we found a broken picnic table and had a picnic as the eclipse was approaching. And uh, totality was... Blue Springs is just east of Kansas City, so it was it was right on the edge. We had about like a minute and a half or so of totality. It was seriously one of the most amazing experiences of my life. It was incredible. Uh, so I'm already thinking about the total solar eclipse in 2024. <laughs> Hell yeah! Like uh, that's gonna be and and actually in that in that one, the uh, the totality is going to last much longer in like as long as four minutes in some places mm. in North America. So might make a longer uh, longer trip out of that one when it comes around. But uh, anyway, if you missed the solar eclipse, shame. 2024. 2024. <laughs> Mark it on your calendar right now. Uh, it's Start doing your cardio right We're all about so shaming people today. I think it's... <laughs> <laughs> well, this you know, is the Bible Belt. <laughs> <laughs> we grew up with it. We have to put that somewhere. <laughs> Might as well be in reading poetry and <laughs> watching eclipses, viewing eclipses. It's better than what most people around here. Did anyone else here get to see it? Did you get to see totality? Uh, no, no, no. I did. Yeah, I, and it was amazing. It right? really was. Mm. It was. It was this, like. Uh, this pause, I guess you could say, just all of a sudden everything seemed to stop, and all that was was this white halo coming yeah. from where the sun should have been. I mean, it was it was really <laughs> it was really interesting when it got close, because because here in Joplin we were like ninety four percent or something, but it's not totality. If you if you were in the middle of doing something else, you probably wouldn't have noticed hmm. because it was still pretty darn bright. The shadows looked weird, mm -hmm. like it it it. it I was noticing that uh, there weren't like long shadows. You know, the the light level was what you would expect near sunset, 
but near sunset, you would expect for your shadow to be mm -hmm. really long. Well, and that's, that's less that. about the amount of light that's being given off and more about the position the angle. of the sun. The angle. So, right, but, yeah. that, but, that, but that, was, that was a very interesting yeah, experience. Thing. Yeah. But had I not been focused on what was happening, I could have just totally mm -hmm. looked at it until it happened, until mm -hmm. totality happened. And then it went dark and the sun mm -hmm. was black and it would have been a it would have been a totally freaky experience mm -hmm. had I not known what I was looking at. So anyway, eclipse, total eclipse, amazing. See it if you can. If you ever have a chance in your life, go see it. Yeah. So twenty twenty four. Brad, what is your last call? Well, um, my last call is a little bit light, maybe in contrast, <laughs> light uh, <laughs> in contrast to some what other people have talked about. But but I I guess it's nature. Favored her idiot sons. Good poets have a weakness for bad puns. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, I guess it does kind of connect to the eclipse because I drove out to Cuba, Missouri, where there was total totality, nice. and I I couldn't get any of the glasses beforehand. I didn't I didn't oh. actually realize that we were right in the path until maybe a week before or something. I guess I just wasn't paying enough attention, and so I was like, oh, now I'll try and find these glasses, but they were everywhere was sold out. I couldn't find them anywhere. So did, you, I, did you make the cardboard box? I did make one of those, um, and I drove with it to Cuba, and then I stopped at a visitor center where someone came in. I said, where can I go to look at it? And someone said, oh, da da da, da. and they were wearing a t-shirt that said, you know, the eclipse. And they said, do you have any glasses? I said, no. And they said, well, come with me over here across town. I'll get you a pair. So they had, and they had yeah, some, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was this very, you know, very generous thing where it was like, this gift. So to what get sort of to favor did you have to? <laughs> just, just my thanks was enough, which is, which kind of connects to my last call is just to talk about how great potlucks are. Um, <laughs> because, you know, uh, here we are in the Midwest, a sort of potluck central area, I guess. But I, I love that. Um, yeah, right, <laughs> big Sunday afternoon potluck. But I, I love that um, everybody makes something. You know, you might know how to cook a lot. You might not know how to cook much more than like one macaroni dish, but you make that macaroni dish. You make a big serving of it so that everyone comes. And then everybody eats more than their fill. There's always stuff to go back with you. And I think there's a, a really nice metaphor in that, that um, this idea that humanity brings its best to each other and we all share. And uh, so I... I want to hold on to the potluck as more than just something to eat, but actually like a metaphor for something. So it's not just because everyone wants to show off. To show off their amazing. <laughs> Certainly not in my case. I'm not showing off anything amazing when I bring my casserole dish. <laughs> I, I, I too enjoy potlucks very much. Absolutely, very much. It's like regardless of what you bring. You I like the idea. You but, just get to be yourself. People so freak me out. So <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if it weren't for your your own social, you know, <laughs> social anxiety, I would really love me some pop. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I like to eat. I'm a big guy. If no, you haven't seen me, no I'm a one big else guy. was going to yeah. point that out. <laughs> all right, thanks, Brad. Thank Robert, you all for being here. Thanks, thanks Zach. Zach. Sun City right. Solar. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. You'll be safe getting home. podcast was produced and edited by Pubhound Press with music by Dan O'Connor and sounds from Creative Commons. Complete credits can be found on our website, pubhoundpress.com.